our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? All right, there it is. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Brooks. I serve as a life group pastor here. It's a pleasure to meet all of you. Um, really excited about this morning. Thank you, Pastor Marcus, for the opportunity. Uh, we're going to start today by playing a game. Is that good? Can we do that? Yeah, you with me? All right, we're going to play a guessing game. We're going to get, I want you to guess what is currently, because it does change, my favorite classic rock band. Okay? Any guesses? Favorite, current favorite classic rock band. Anybody? The Eagles, Led Zeppelin, what? Toto? Okay, anybody say, anyone say Steely Dan? Anyone say Steely Dan? That's a great band. No? Okay. The answer, I'll give you a hint, is this. Can someone tell me who this is? Does anyone know who this, which band this is? It's the Eagles. Yes. Good job, all of you classic rock fans. To me, this looks like every single generic classic rock picture I've ever seen of every band that I've ever seen. Um, but yes, this is the Eagles. And I'll tell you why this is currently my favorite band. The reason is because this band was so close to not making it. They were very close to just being another band that was playing in the 60s and 70s in Los Angeles and just had high dreams but couldn't make it. You see, they were playing lots of shows, but they were struggling to get any traction. They didn't have any big hits. They weren't uh, going on big tours. They were just playing music and hoping to figure it out. But something was missing, okay? So it wasn't necessarily uh, they didn't have the right equipment because they had that. It wasn't that they were picked to be on the best tours or even to have the best record label. You know what was missing from them? It was actually a person. They were missing someone because that someone was going to teach them something. So let me go ahead and show you who that person was. This guy, does anyone know who this guy is? This is Jackson Brown, okay? Jackson Brown looks like he's on the Brady Bunch, but yes, this is what everyone looked like, I'm guessing, right? So um, this is Jackson Brown, personally one of my favorite musicians. He wrote a lot of songs that you probably have heard before. But Jackson Brown was playing music around that same time in Los Angeles. And the only reason why I know this is because I was, uh, I, like I said, I was learning about the Eagles, but the Eagles and Jackson Brown used to play uh, concerts and bands and music together. And one day, Jackson Brown said, hey, man, why don't you guys come over and live in my side of Los Angeles? It's cheaper, it's more affordable, you should come. So he said, okay, the band said, yeah, let's do it. So they moved in, and they originally were moving in right next to Jackson Brown, but Jackson Brown couldn't afford rent because he was a, you know, not making it musician. And so he moved underneath the Eagles, and lived in their basement. So he ended up paying like $30 a month in this illegal little shed thing he lived in underneath. He had a, um, he had a stereo, he had a guitar, a piano, a teapot, and his bed. That's all he had. And the Eagles learned how to write music through the floor listening to Jackson Brown. 
So what Glenn Fry used to say is, we would all stay up late and party and play music, and then we'd all try to sleep in, but every morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, we would hear a teapot turn on, and we'd give it a couple minutes, and then we'd hear someone plinking away on a piano. And he said this person would literally play the song once through, and then twice through, and then a dozen times, and a couple dozen times, and then it would be silent. And then next thing you hear, the tea turns back on again. And then a few moments later, more piano playing. This time, writing the second verse. And he would play it over and over, and then he would play it all again, all through it, dozens and dozens of times. And what Glenn Fry said is, we learn to write music because we learn that it takes something special. It actually takes elbow grease. It takes persistence and time, and it's a grueling commitment to your craft. And they learned that through the floor, through Jackson Brown. But they knew that something was missing. It was being able to write music. So when we think about our lives, when we're trying to follow Jesus, I wonder how many of us this morning feel like we're missing something. I wonder how many of us are feeling like we're trying to do right and to be right, but we're trying and failing. We don't know why. Maybe some of us feel like following Jesus feels really heavy and cumbersome, almost like we're, we're missing something to help us in that journey. We may even be looking for someone else in this room or someone else out of this room that's going to be the quote-unquote secret sauce to help us to feel more content and more whole as people. So the question is, what is that thing that's missing? So for the disciples, they also had something that they were missing too. See, they were called by Jesus to go. At the end of Matthew chapter 28, he gave us the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. He told his disciples to do this, to teach them, and then to do what we did this morning, to baptize them. But he said, before you go, in Acts chapter 1, he told them that first you must wait. You must wait for something that's going to help you to bring heaven to this earth through the preaching of the kingdom of heaven, to the preaching of who Jesus was. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. You need to wait for something. And that something was what he called in Acts chapter 1, the gift from the Father. See, they needed help 2,000 years ago, and we need that same exact help today so the question that we're going to be diving into and thinking about is, how do we fulfill heaven's purpose here on earth? How do we take what God has called us to do and called us to be, and how do we actually bring that to fruition in our lives? So let's, let's jump in to Acts chapter 2 together, and we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So if you don't know where Acts is in your Bible, just open it up in the middle. If you go a little bit more to the right, you'll find the New Testament where we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then we get to the book of Acts, which is written by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So here in Acts chapter 2, we know that the disciples are waiting. They were told to wait by Jesus, and they're following what he asked them to do. We know they're waiting at least 10 days, and we know that during this, this story that we're about to read, it picks up on the day of Pentecost. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I did not know exactly what that meant. So I had to dig myself and do some study and look in the Old Testament and read some commentaries. And what I learned is that the day of Pentecost was exactly 50 days after the Passover was completed. It was one of the three pilgrimage that the Jews would do in their year. So 
three times a year, the Jews would come from all over the world, all over the planet at this time, and they would come to Jerusalem to commemorate these festivals. Well, this particular festival was one that celebrated that the harvest was going to be um, like reaped. So they were all very excited, all very grateful that God had once again given them the sustenance for their life. So if you can imagine, Jerusalem is filled with people from all over. There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of celebration. That's right when Acts chapter 2 takes place. So let's read together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like The blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated that separated and came to rest on each of them. Wowzers. This is getting wild in here, okay? They saw what okay, so and all of them, check this out, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? Because they were there to celebrate what? The Pentecost. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one, this is important, heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? And others, they're saying, how in the world do these Galileans know my language perfectly that I'm understanding what they're saying? How is that possible? And then he said, um, then how is it? Oh yeah, okay, so verse nine. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors all the way from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they're drunk. They've had too much wine. So what's happening right now? Let's, let's take a moment and just kind of reflect on this dramatic moment that all of them were experiencing. So in this time right here, heaven is coming down, boom, in this unexpected way. Uh, the people were beginning to respond as the Spirit was filling them. People from all over the world were hearing their own language come out of the mouths of people that had no business knowing those languages. These were, this was a miraculous moment of God on earth right here. And the thing that I love about this is that from the very get-go, from step one, God wanted us to know that he loves the whole world. That God does not favor one race, one culture, one language over another. That there, that out of all places on this planet, that the people of God should be the most celebratory of the different cultures and languages that exist here in this world. God's desire from the get-go was for him to be able to be revealed and lived out and shown and told to everybody. This week, we had a chance to go to the AG General Conference here, which if you're not familiar with that, it's something I wasn't familiar with it until last year, where a bunch of churches uh, from the Assemblies of God got together. And the most amazing part about that for me was seeing people from all over the world tell stories of all the rad things that God is doing on this planet. We heard missionaries from Northern Africa talk about the number of people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. 
We heard people who are in the Middle East and Egypt who are giving water out to people. That's part of something that we do through our kingdom builders. And they're actually there on the ground helping plant churches and people are coming to faith because of this clean water that's in their homes. We heard from people from South America to Asia. Literally, we got a chance to get an idea of what the Spirit is doing in the whole world. And you know, it started right here. My, my favorite part, honestly, of the whole time was while we were worshiping God, we had this time of worship, and I was like really focused, and I, I didn't really know the songs, but I was trying to pay attention, and I was like feeling it, and then all of a sudden, as I started to get the words, I started singing it, and all of a sudden, the lady starts singing in Spanish out of nowhere, and I was, uh, it, it threw me off, but in, in that moment, I was reminded of how beautiful it is for our Lord to hear worship in all the different tongues in this world. Matter of fact, at the end of the book of Revelation, we are told that, uh, that there will come a time when everybody will be bowing at the feet of Jesus, every tongue from every tribe, from every culture on the planet, singing the Lord's praises. And if it's going to be there, I know that's something that the Spirit wants to bring here within our culture, our community too. So what is happening? There's this incredible moment that has changed the course of history. What is the secret sauce? What is the thing that is missing that we need desperately to help bring heaven to earth in our lives? What was the disciples missing? They were waiting for God to send the Holy Spirit to us and in the same way, we also need the Spirit's presence and power in our lives. Now, there's a lot of things that we could say about the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, we're probably going to do a series, maybe this year, on the Holy Spirit. There's a whole study in theology. I studied, I studied theology. Um, there's a whole like, field of study within systematic theology called pneumatology. It stands for like the breath, the Spirit of God, where literally people write books and books and books and books all about the Spirit of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the third person of the Trinity, well, here, what we're going to focus on is we're going to just take some understanding of what we have in our text right here. So we're not going to do all of it, but we're going to follow and get some of it. So the first thing that we learn about the Spirit here is that the Spirit takes residence in us, takes permanent residence in us. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 together. It says this, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this tongues of fire thing is, is actually a really, really important part. As I was digging in, I was like, man, why, is, why, is, why are there tongues? I was thinking of like the rolling stones with that big tongue thing. Like, is that what it's talking about over their heads? There's fire. It's like licking of fire. It's wild, right? Well, fire in the Bible is usually associated with the presence of God. The author Luke wanted them to know that the, holy, that the presence of God was now over and in every person in that room. You see, in the Old Testament, can you remember this guy named Moses, right? He was someone that grew up in Egypt, and he went to the desert after he killed someone. He was running away, and in the desert, while he was hiding on the backside of the desert, God appeared to him. But how did he appear to him? In a burning bush that was on fire, but yet wasn't burning it was such a holy moment. God told Moses even to take off his sandals on his feet because his sandals probably had a bunch of cow dung and sheep dung all over them. But also, you think about the pillar of fire when the Israelites left Egypt after Moses said, let my people go. They left Egypt. Did you know that there was this gigantic pillar of fire that separated the Israelites to protect them from the Egyptians and that actually led them at nighttime? They saw this gigantic tornado of fire and they knew that God was there in that moment with them. 
How about Mount Sinai? Did you know when God appeared to the Israelites? They were standing in front of Mount Sinai and all of a sudden God showed up and boom, the mountain just started just lit on fire and everybody was so afraid. They said, Moses, you go up there. We can't go up there. You go up there. I'm too afraid because they sensed the power and the holiness of God had come down and descended to earth. And now in this moment, the author wanted us to understand that the holy presence of God came down And not just came beside us or close to us, but specifically came in us, came in the people of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, Don't you yourselves know that you, speaking of people who are followers of Jesus, are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? You see, the presence of God is with us wherever we go. So when you go to get your uh, Starbucks in the morning, guess what? The Spirit of God is getting your caramel macchiato too, okay? When you're going to your, uh, your meetings and you're walking in stressed and anxious and you feel like, how's this going to go? The Spirit of God is right there with you as you go into that meeting. When you're having hard conversations and you know they're going to be hard because you've been trying to avoid them and you finally sit down on them, the Spirit of God is with you in that moment, in that conversation, And I'd say even this, we had last Sunday, we had life group training. We had a chaplain from UCC Medical Center coming and talking to our leaders. And he said, do you know how many times I go into a meeting where I have three very hard moments back to back to back? He said, I will literally leave the burn victim ward, go to a cancer ward, go to someone that's passing away right there. And he said, every time I go, I'm reminded that the spirit of God goes with me into each one of those rooms. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, know that if you are a follower of Jesus, that the Spirit of God has filled you and is walking with you wherever you are, whatever you're going through. But that's the cool thing too, is that it's also something that is permanent. Okay, I want to highlight that. It's permanent. The Holy Spirit was in in the Old Testament. Here's a little bit of pneumatology. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only here temporarily. He would come and fill usually a religious leader, someone that was doing something spectacular for a season. But if sin came into their life, if they were disobedient from God, if they were rebellious, then the Spirit would be withdrawn from them. But now, the Scripture teaches us that we were literally, we have been sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, such a great book if you're learning to walk with God. It talks about how the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our eternal security with God. See, in the Old Testament, or excuse me, during this time when the Bible was written in the New Testament, someone would, uh, if they wanted to guarantee that a letter that was being sent was from them, they would literally take a letter and they would take a signet ring off of their finger. And it would have like the initial of your name or your crest of your family. And they would light a candle and then they would melt it on top. And then they would, as it melted and started to dry, they would stamp the letter. And that way, whoever received it knew that the person who gave this letter was in fact the author of that that letter. They were the person that owned that letter. Well, in this case, when Paul talks about the church and what the Spirit does, he says this, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is your deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
So the Holy Spirit not only indwells in us, but he is the stamp. He is the thing that, that shows that we are truly a child of God. And he seals us until we see God face to face. But even for me, honestly, as I was studying this, my favorite part of this whole passage is actually this, is that the Spirit also, check this out, he also gives us the power to live out his purposes. Can you all do me a favor? Go left in your Bible to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I sounded like I was from the Midwest there for a second. I said, y'all. Um, go to verse 8, and let's read this together. Oh, this is good. Here we go. But you, talking to disciples, when, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and on Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So check this out. This is blowing my mind, okay? Check this out, ready? The Spirit gives us power to bear witness to Christ and to be a witness for Christ. They're two separate things. The distinction is fine, but it's very important. In other words, we are called to share about Jesus and we are called to show the world Jesus. There's a difference. One thing is about us bearing witness. He says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What he's saying is basically, wherever you are, start right where you are. Jerusalem was for them the center point. He said, I want you to be my witness there first. And then he says, Judea and Samaria. So he's building a concentric circle of, of the area of influence. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. So what's really cool about this verse, there's so many cool things, but this verse is actually the playbook for the whole book of Acts. If you followed this verse and followed it through the book of Acts, you will literally see concentric circles of the Holy Spirit of God moving out. First to the Jews, then to those who are proselytes or those who are following Judeo, uh, Judaism but aren't Jews, and then to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. So, we are called by God and in, check this out, not just called, not just called, I just, I'm so pumped about this. We are empowered by the Spirit to bear witness. In other words, the Spirit is our aid to be able to tell other people about Jesus Christ. You are not alone when you start sharing about the name of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God empowers those words that you speak to have an impact Matter of fact, we cannot discern, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that we cannot, that no one can discern the things of the Spirit unless the Spirit himself makes them clear to them. So every time you talk about God, there's a spiritual component that's happening that the Spirit of God is like, yes, all right, let's do this. It happens in our schools. We've been sent to our schools. We've been sent to our PTA meetings. We've been sent to the doctor's offices. We've been sent to, to droughts around the world. We're even being sent to homes, I don't know why I felt this, but homes that are contentious. Neighborhoods, people around us, that their family is just really struggling. It's much easier to stay away, but is Jesus even sending us into those homes as his representative, his example? We're being sent to our cubicles. I lived the cubicle life for many years. It's hard to feel like you have purpose in a cubicle world, right? You just feel like I've just, I'm doing my thing. But I wonder if the Lord wants us to be more aware of that maybe his spirit is calling us to speak to those around us and just to live that life. And that we've been called to the whole world, but not just to bear witness, 
but we are called to be a witness. And this is the sweetest part here, that, that to become more like Jesus is that our lives reflect who he is. But here's the deal. We aren't allowed to do it alone. God has actually empowered us by his spirit to live out this new life that he's given to us. He did not just drop us into the world and say, okay, now figure it out. Be like me. He literally, he sent us his spirit to empower us so that we could become more like Jesus Christ. So if there's an area of your heart that you're like, man, I'm really struggling with this. That is a perfect place to be able to say, Spirit of God, will you help me with this? Will you help me look more like Jesus with this? As I was uh, just preparing for this message, I was reminded of um, in the book of Ezekiel, when God was giving Ezekiel these prophecies to share, he said to them this, it's going to blow your mind. He said in Ezekiel 36, 26, 27, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is talking about the future when, when God was going to do something amazing. He says, check it out. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a softer heart, a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So some of us in this room may wonder, can I really change? Maybe we feel like our heart is so hard that there's no way that God could soften it. Well, I have wonderful news for you today. The Holy Spirit of God is so powerful, he can soften even your heart. Some of us think that the chains of addiction are so strong and so heavy and we've gotten so comfortable with them and yet we hate them at the same time. The Spirit of God can break those chains. There is nothing that God's spirit cannot do in our lives. Society says to us, you know what? You know how you're going to change? Look within. You don't need this other world wizardly figure. Just make sense of yourself inside. The power is in you. Here is the truth. God says, I have what you need to become the person that you are meant to be. That is the truth. That is the power that the Spirit of God gives us. There's a quote from Spurgeon. Uh, I'll read it to you. He says, he says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind and coals without fire. We are useless. How many of you like the vacuum cleaner that you have? Raise your hand if, you're, if you like your vacuum cleaner. Okay. How many of you wish you had a new vacuum cleaner? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. Uh, for some reason, I feel like I became an adult when I really wanted a nice vacuum cleaner. I don't know what it was. My wife and I, literally for 10 years, we had the same vacuum cleaner. And after a while, it just felt like we were just pushing dirt around. Like it just felt like, why are we even doing this? This is such a waste. Um, the thing about vacuums is that they were designed to pick up dirt through the power of electricity, right? You can move the, back, the vacuum back and forth, but if there's no power, it's not going to do what it was designed to do. You can make all the noise you want, right? You can mimic it. Mm, you know, you can do it back and forth. Mm, it does not matter how many times you do this. If there's no power, it's not going to do its job. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Trying to be like Jesus without the power of the Spirit is the exact same thing as having no electricity in your vacuum. 
We can push stuff around. We can make a bunch of noise. We can even put on a show. But if the Spirit of God is not helping us transform from the inside out, we're just pushing our old lives, the dirt from our old lives back and forth. But if we want God to remove that and replace that, we need the power of the Spirit in our lives. Just a moment of surrender to the Lord and letting the Lord in to transform our lives is worth 10 years of trying to do it by ourselves. Just a single moment of open surrender to the Holy Spirit. And God wants to do that in our lives. So what happens when the people receive the Spirit? Life immediately started to look different. This powerful and supernatural moment It needed an explanation. So enter stage right. Peter jumps in, says, let's do it. Let's read verse 14 and on, and we'll find out what did Peter say about what was happening. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, so now Peter is realizing that what happened was actually prophesied about in the book of Joel chapter two. He says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show you wonders. So now he's going to even talk about even future eschatological work that's coming. I will show you wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what is, what is Peter saying here? Well, this prophecy of Joel 2 was coming to pass right now. He wanted everyone to understand, guys, 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 it's happening. That part that's in the, in the verse all the way back when that's in the passage, it's here right now in your midst. God's spirit is no longer confined to a building. God has dropped his spirit now into our hearts and he has made his home in us. And so like Peter, he stepped into that moment. We have an opportunity as well to be responsive as the Holy Spirit uh, prompts and in our lives. And we can, we're called to be responsive in ordinary and very extraordinary means. And in this case, in this extraordinary way, Peter jumps up by the power of the Spirit and begins to say all these incredible things. But here's, if you didn't know this about Peter, Peter is a case study of what it looks like when the Spirit of God changes your life. Peter summoned before the Spirit. Peter was a guy that was really good at putting his foot in his mouth all the time, okay? He sought power and control over moments, you know, with what? With the sword. Peter was someone who lost all of the courage and the moment he needed it the most to be there for Jesus, he ran away and, and was terrified, In his shame, because of failing Christ, in all of the shame and the guilt that he wore on himself, you know what he did? He left and went back to fishing on a boat. 
He tried to live the kingdom life that Jesus talked about in his own power. But after the Spirit, look at verse 14 again. After the Spirit, Peter stands up with courage, with fervor, talking to probably some of the same people that literally were voting and murder, and that Jesus would be murdered. He's talking to some of these same people. He stands up and he raises a voice and he addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. Peter, after the Spirit, was fearless with these people. His courage was immediately came forward and he seized this divine moment that was in front of him. His shame is gone. His fulfilling is now, he's fulfilling his call. His passion was harnessed now for the good of the gospel. He's now doing exactly what Christ called him to do. He's able to be the person that God wanted him to be, not because of his own strength and ingenuity, but by the power of the spirit in his life. He was becoming the man that God created him to be so what does it look like then for us in these ordinary, ordinary ways that the Spirit is working? Well, maybe when you feel prompted to share your God story, maybe, maybe you can just in those moments experience the power of God to take that step of faith and tell someone about your faith in Jesus. Maybe some of us in this room have young kids and your buttons get pushed all the time. And there's those moments, we all notice parents, there's those moments when your buttons are pushed so hard, it feels like the kids somehow have magic fingers. They pushed all of them at the exact same time. And you just feel like you just want to blow up. And in that moment you say, God, please give me the patience. And boom, out of nowhere, the patience of God comes to your heart. Which by the way, the patience of God is a fruit of God's spirit from Galatians chapter 5. And maybe someday, some of us, we get confronted with someone, they're angry, they're upset, they're frustrated, and your old self, the old man, would want to just take a swing at someone. But in that moment, you know that you're not that old person anymore, and so you cry out for God and the strength of, to be a different person. You say, God, help me in this moment. And instead of anger and wrath, you know what comes out next? Love. An understanding that, man, this person really needs God. That is supernatural. That is not natural to us. But when we have the Spirit of God working in our lives, God is able to help us become the people that we want to be, the people that Christ desires for us to be. And I'll say this last one too, is when we are facing temptation, we need the Spirit's power in our life. We need the Spirit's power to say no to the flesh. The flesh desires to fulfill itself and it's really an endless pit that if you give the flesh what it wants, it will keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and it will hunger for more and more and more. And the way that we become free from that, the way that we can be able to see the way of escape, the way to be able to get out is by the power of the spirit in our life. So let's finish our time by looking how the people responded to this message. Let's read verses 36 through 39 together. It says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, when they heard it, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all 
whom the Lord our God will call. So what is Peter's point here at the end? That if each of us, if any of us, call on Jesus Christ as Lord, that the Spirit of God will come into our lives and change us. That he will never abandon us, that he is with us forever. And something else I just think it's important to remember is that the filling of the Spirit didn't instantaneously mean that the disciples would never struggle with sin again. If you actually follow the disciples, specifically Peter, he was actually, even after he became a Christian, after he was filled with the Spirit, he was rebuked by Peter for some crazy stuff he was doing with other people by sitting with certain people but not with other people. And, and Paul, like, excuse me, Paul rebuked him and said, man, what are you doing? So it's a journey that we are on as followers of Jesus. It's a journey that the closer we move and we become open to the power of the Spirit, the more God works in our life. I had a mentor of mine tell me this. It's really stood true in my life. Is that when we first start walking with Jesus and we open our hearts to God and say, God, help me in my life. God comes through with these big, strong arms and he takes the big boulders from our lives those big things that are heavy and that feel like, man, I can't even see God. They're so consuming of my mind and my heart. And that's part of my old life. I need your help, God. And God comes in and he can take those big things and put them away. And then we find in our lives that throughout, as we're walking with Jesus, all of a sudden, God starts to find more rocks and more things in our lives that maybe we didn't even see were there, but he knew were there the whole time. And as we submit to the spirit of God, God quickly or slowly becomes so close to us, he begins to help us remove each of those things from our life that become a hindrance in our walk with him and in our relationships with other people. So when we, the, the kind of the end thought here is when we receive the Holy Spirit, we also have to learn to follow his leading in our life. See, there's this passage I want to read to you. It's the final passage of our day today. Um, honestly, this, this passage I'll, I'll share with you has been the most impactful in my life, probably in the last five years, okay? So it's in Galatians chapter five. Let me read it to you. It says this, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. What is Paul saying? He's saying that each of us have a choice whether or not we are going to follow the direction of the Spirit It's one thing for the spirit to have all the power in the world to change us. It's another thing for us to let him in and let him do it. When I, um, when I was in, uh, when I was in college, um, I I went away to this college. I moved away from uh, a girl I thought I was going to marry. I moved away from my job in the ministry. I moved away from all my family and my friends. I was very lonely. I was very discouraged. I was overwhelmed. And I decided after being there for only one semester that I was going to move back home. And so I called my old boss and I said, hey, do you still got that job for me? Can I have it back? And the guy said, yes, I knew you were supposed to be here the whole time. So he said, yeah, you can come on back. And I remember calling my girlfriend at the time and saying, you know, I can't do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come home. I, I need, you know, I want to be with us and well, our, our lives together. And they were like, yes. But the problem was I didn't have peace in my heart about that decision. And so I remember going in, into my um, this room that we had at the bottom of this building I was living in. And it was literally, it was just a room for prayer. It was just like this gigantic prayer closet. And I, w- I went in there and I just said, God, I want to go home, but I don't have peace. 
And so I just said, I'm just going to pray. And so I just sat in that room and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and then I left and I came back a couple days later and I prayed and I prayed. And the more I tried to convince God that it was the best thing for me, the, the more or the, the less peace I had in my heart. And so it finally took me saying, you know what, God, I am so sick of fighting you on this. And I hate that feeling of anxiety and feeling like I'm not walking and following your leading in my life. I'm just going to surrender it to you. Lord, I just wanna, I just wanna be your servant. I just wanna do whatever you want me to do and go wherever you want me to go. Just take it from me. And in that moment, I said, God, I'll stay. You know what happened in that moment? Immediate peace. Immediate peace rushed in my heart. Immediate. Because I was done fighting with the Lord, with what God wanted to do in my life. And so I don't know what any of us are, many of us in this room, I don't know what you are facing this morning. But can I encourage you to just take a few moments right now in your heart and just surrender to God. Whatever anxiety you brought in this morning, whatever fear you have, whatever concern you have, whatever plans you have for your future, that you are doggone it, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna make it happen. I just encourage you right now, even before the Lord, and we're gonna just take a couple moments to just sit right where you are and turn your hands up and just do this on your hands, uh, on your lap. Just as a sign of an open heart before God. God, I surrender to you. I surrender to your spirit. Help me to follow you, God. Help me to keep in step with you, Lord. Just take a few moments to pray and then I'll close this in prayer. desires to to be open to you, Lord. Thank you so much, God, for Pentecost. Thank you so much for sending us your spirit, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you want to empower us to bear witness of who you are to our world, to our family, our neighbors. But God, thank you also so much that you empower us to be somebody different, God. That even if we come back to the same struggles, Lord, you are so patient and loving and kind with us in those moments. And what you desire most is for us to just surrender and say, I trust you, God. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my relationships. God, just take it all and give me what you desire for my life, Lord. God, thank you for your word this morning. Seal our hearts, God, with these truths so that we won't forget them, Lord. And those things that you're speaking even to our hearts right now, Lord, we know you're a good God. We love you, God. We know that you are our light and our salvation. You are the strength of our life. Who should we be afraid of? God, we know that there's nothing that will be able to separate us from your love. 
God, you're just so good, Lord. You are so good. And we thank you so much for this time together in your word. In Jesus' name.